Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Good morning. This is Father Richard Kunz along with Cindy Jennings. Who, this is a Real Presence Live. Welcome to the show. We're airing this from the Diocese of Duluth, Minnesota at Stella Maris Academy, St. James Campus. And let us, oh, good morning, Cindy. Good morning, By the way, why don't, we, why don't we start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your blessing upon us as we go through this show of Real Presence Live. Bless the guests that we are going to be interviewing, but especially bless those that are listening, that they may certainly grow closer to Christ during the time that they are listening to the show. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name Amen. of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Cindy, we haven't done this for a while. I know. I mean, we skipped November because it was All Saints Day, right? Mm-hmm. We did. But then, so yeah. October, it's been two months. Two months. Do you months. feel a little rusty? I do. I do. I was ner- I was nervous, you were which nervous. is weird. Cause that is a little weird. I kind of got over that. Now it's back again. <laughs> are you nervous now still? A little, yeah. Oh. I don't know. Okay, well, let's. It's I'm going to take. I'm going to try and take advantage of that and expose that a little bit. Okay, well the then show. I'm not. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, anyhow, uh, again, welcome back to Real Presence Live. And uh, first up, we have the Bishop of the Diocese of Duluth, Bishop Daniel Felton, on the line with us. Bishop, good morning and happy Advent. Good morning to you and to all of our listeners. I'm very happy to be with you. How was Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was wonderful. Um, I had the opportunity. There's a tradition here in uh, the Diocese of Duluth. Um, that bishops would travel home for Thanksgiving because many of the bishops who have served here in our diocese lived, their families live elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So I uh, have the privilege of kind of living that tradition. So I was able to go home and to uh, spend Thanksgiving uh, at my home parish. I had Mass there in the morning at St. Edward's in Mackville, Wisconsin, and then uh, joined my family afterwards. So it was a very, very nice uh, Thanksgiving and beautiful traveling weather. The weather was just perfect. Good. That's great. Uh, we have a, a few questions, uh, you know, that we're going to be talking about that have a really Christmas theme, which you would expect in in the uh, the December edition of Real Presence Live. And so, one of the first things I want to hit right off the top is something that kind of piqued my interest, and that is um, uh, a topic of the spiritual truths that might be in the old Christmas classic Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, it's a great example of the Incarnation and how God can use anything uh, for God's purpose. And actually, uh, every time we hear Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer for perhaps the 542nd time in a department store or on a radio or in an elevator uh, during these times, I I don't think we always appreciate uh, the beauty of the the story behind it and how much it really is based in a spirituality uh, and in faith. Um, In 1939... Uh, there was a copywriter named Robert May, and he worked for Montgomery Ward, um, and that was a department store. Now, being an old man myself, I can remember uh, it was second only to Sears uh, in terms of department stores, and everybody waited for the Montgomery Ward Christmas catalog to come out. Even as a child, then I would page through it, circle the things that I wanted Santa to bring. Uh, But along with that, uh, Montgomery Ward, every year, would give away a free uh, Christmas coloring book. 
And so in 1939, uh, Robert May was designated uh, by Montgomery Ward to write the story or create the story for the uh, coloring book. And as he was uh, trying to write that and kind of having a writer's block, um, part of the reason for that was his wife had cancer. And actually, as he was beginning to write the story uh, and the coloring book, um, his wife died. And so he was very distraught and and filled with despair. Um, And he had a young daughter named Barbara, uh, who was in grade school. And so uh, she went off to school, and as children can be, they kind of bullied her. Her mom, you know, had died. She didn't have a mom. They uh, made fun of her. They wouldn't let her play in the games uh, at school. And so Robert May was watching all of this with a broken heart uh, for his little daughter. And all of a sudden, he had the idea to write the story, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, um, as a reindeer that was different, but a reindeer that was very special. And so he wrote uh, that story, and uh, he uh, put it into a coloring book, and it became uh, a hit instantaneously. There were 2.4 million copies uh, that were given away. And they, they had to stop publishing it uh, because the World War II was going on, and they couldn't uh, use any more paper uh, at that time because of the war. Um, but it became one of the, the most popular coloring books uh, that Montgomery Wards had ever had. And then somebody married into his family that was a songwriter, and he decided uh, that he was going to, Johnny Marks was the name of the man, he was going to put the coloring book story about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger, which is really a story about uh, John May's uh, daughter, Robert May's daughter, Barbara, uh, to a song. And he did that, and he knew a country-western singer named Gene Autry, um, and he pitched the song to Gene Autry, who really wasn't that interested. He had a more popular Christmas song that year. But it was Gene Autry's uh, wife who convinced him to put it on the B-side, as they called it back in those days on 45s, um, the the less popular uh, song. Um, And so he recorded that, and it has become the second biggest seller of all Christmas songs, only second to White Christmas. And, of course, in 1964, there was a TV special, and... uh, Every year, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is shown. But if you think of the words, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose, all of the, and then it goes on, all of the children, uh, all of the other reindeer, you know, mocked him, didn't let him join in reindeer games. Um, it all has everything to do with trying to lift up his daughter, Barbara, and to make her feel special uh, with the death of her mom and his wife. And the red nose so, part probably came from the, uh, um, uh, the crying. Right. You know, so the whole story was just trying to write a story that would bring comfort to his daughter, who was grieving the loss of her mom, and was also having to deal with the children at school, who wouldn't let her play in the games, and they were making uh, fun of her. So he wrote the story to tell her, but that she was just very special, and that um, there was a love there um, that could never end. So it's a beautiful, beautiful, and you'll never listen to the words uh, again in the same kind of way. Um, at least I haven't, once I learned the story behind it. Hmm. That is pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of these old hymns, or old whatever, things that we're used to on a regular basis, really can have very interesting stories as their backdrop that actually cause their um, their birth, so to speak. And so that's pretty right, cool. Right, right. 
you know, and, and Rudolph is, is what we would consider to be a Christmas song, but not necessarily uh, sacred as some, some of our other Christmas songs are. Yet at the same time, the whole idea behind the Incarnation is that when God became one with us and came into the world to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us, that God can choose to use anything. And certainly he used, at that time, Robert May. Uh, he used uh, the story of Rudolph the Reindeer to speak to the compassion of walking with those who have lost a loved one. Um, you know, he inspired uh, Gene Autry to sing it, and it's a song. If people know the story and listen to the words, that has impacted um, millions of people uh, since that original story, you know, was written. And so, you know, God never writes small. Ultimately, God will always start small. But it becomes big. Almost every Christmas symbol has religious origins to it, mm-hmm. including the, from the candy cane to the wreath, you know, to the to the holly. All of it actually has um, a religious uh, basis of what these things are. Right. So, right. So, um, so you know, including but, uh, uh, nativity sets. Right. You know that uh, nativity sets, which we have in our homes, and you know, which we have in churches, and we look forward every year uh, to do putting up the manger set, or what, as it's called, or the nativity set. Um, I mean, that really goes back to St. Francis of Assisi, mm-hmm. who wanted people to enter more deeply into the Christmas story, um, and into the incarnation of God becoming one like us. And so he decided to take the Christmas stories as they're given to us in Matthew and Luke, those two Gospels, and to have live people actually do uh, the nativity set, so that it was a relational person-to-person thing. And yeah, lot, then uh, no, at, at some point, uh, people probably got too cold standing outside, and somebody <laughs> said, hey, why don't we do this inside? And so things moved inside, and... and uh, the nativity set has become just a very central part of our Christmas experience. I don't know, uh, Bishop, if you've been to a CC during Christmas time, but they have a life-size nativity scene over all the green grass in front of the major basilica. That the the basilica there in the CC, it's right. quite, it's quite impressive, actually. Yeah, but and, and, uh, and such you know. a long tradition. Right. Um, you know, speaking a little bit about, you know, of course, we get the, the nativity scene from the, the gospel stories. Let's talk a little bit about the infancy narratives and the two gospels. A lot of people might be surprised to hear that only two gospels speak of the birth of Jesus. And that's right, Matthew right. And Luke. You know, Mark, which is the oldest of the gospels, uh, we believe, starts with the baptism of Jesus. And the gospel of John, which is probably the last gospel to be written, actually starts, you know, in the beginning was the Word, um, even, you know, uh, before the birth. Um, So the two Gospels that actually have the Christmas story as we know it and celebrate it and embrace it as Christians would be found only in the Gospel of Luke and Matthew. And in fact, uh, what we do with the Christmas story is we take those two accounts that we find in Matthew and Luke, and we kind of combine them together um, to get the full story. So there were two accountings, obviously all centered around the birth of Jesus, but each accounting has different details. Um, so, for instance, in the Gospel of Luke, the angel appears to Mary in a very familiar enunciation that we know, but in the Gospel of Matthew, the angel appears to Joseph in that enunciation and announces, you know, um, all of the things that the angel would tell Joseph uh, to do during that period of time, to take Mary as his wife, to go to Egypt. So in Luke, it's to Mary. In Matthew, it's to Joseph. 
in the Gospel of Luke, we have the coming of the shepherds. In the Gospel of Matthew, we have the coming of the Magi. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, we have the um, inn is filled, and so they go and they give birth uh, to the child in the stable. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, we already have them living in a home or a house in Bethlehem. So, so two beautiful inspired accountings of the birth of Jesus, only in Matthew and Luke, um, but at the same time, um, we've combined those two stories. So it'd be fun. I, I would uh, invite our listeners to go to the Gospel of Luke and to the Gospel of Matthew, and just to read both of those accounts uh, to really be able to appreciate them in and of themselves, but also to understand kind of how we have taken both accounts and have created the Christmas story as we know it. There are, uh, there are only two chapters each. And oh, right. I'm, right. I, I'm uh, currently reading right now Raymond Brown's book on the yes, infancy yes. narratives, and, and he makes a point that, at least he posits that the idea that that he wrote that the both of the gospel authors wrote the infancy narrative uh, after they wrote the other parts of the gospel. And because he was making the point that that uh, in each of their gospels, there's different themes that are very clear in the um, uh, in the birth narratives, and that yep. the birth narratives were probably added after the rest of the story was, right. was written, so which is very interesting. The oldest part of the story would be the resurrection, obviously. Yep. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if, if, you know, a person dies, and all of a sudden, you know, you're at Walmart in aisle three, and you encounter that person alive, well, that's going to be the first thing that you're going to talk about. Exactly. You know, I mean, you're alive. You know, it's an incredible story to be told. And so you must, there must be something special going on here, and kind of the Gospels write themselves um, from the end to back to the beginning. Hey, right. by the way, uh, Raymond Brown was in the room alongside of me at the Casa Santa Maria when I was studying in Rome, wow. and he was wow. using one of those old typewriters to type out the script for that uh, book that you're reading. Really? Yeah. That's crazy, Bishop. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So you actually met him. Yeah, he lived next door to me at at the Costa. Holy smokes. That's super cool. I like like hearing that. He was writing that, and and people that are young and that are listening won't appreciate the the old days of the typewriter going. Or or even appreciate who Raymond Brown is. I mean, right, right. I mean, he's like he's like the scripture scholar, you know, yeah. in, of living memory. Uh, all right. Well, we're speaking to Bishop Daniel Felton of the Diocese of Duluth with certain Christmas themes topics, and we'll continue this conversation immediately after this brief break. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. And I say also to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This passage from Matthew describes the commission of Peter, given to him at Banias, ancient Caesarea Philippi, before the great rock of the pagan shrine, known to be one of the gates of the underworld. Realizing that the gates of hell have it in for us may give us pause, but no one has ever been attacked by a gate. It's a defensive measure. The prince of this world is on the defensive, which means that we are on the offensive. The gates of hell will not pursue us. Rather, we, the church militant, will attack the gates to set the captives free. We are already equipped and commissioned to raid and poach in Satan's territory and rescue souls out from under him. 
Are you ready for the task at hand? Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. The Mustard Seed Catholic Store is South Dakota's place to purchase Catholic books, gifts, and decor. With locations in Rapid City and Sioux Falls, we are here to provide you with gifts for the Catholic occasions in your life. From baptism to First Communion, confirmation to weddings, and ordinations, we pride ourselves in having local artists share their creative talents, making rosaries, crucifixes, artwork, coffee, and books. We are located in Rapid City on Main Street, in the new Diocesan Building, or in Sioux Falls on Grange Avenue across from Costco. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. Lumen Vision offers vision therapy services for children and adults. Symptoms of poor reading comprehension, headaches, tired eyes, and poor coordination can be indicators of eye movement conditions which affect reading and learning. Eye movement disorders are often undetected by school vision screenings and regular eye exams. For more information about how vision therapy can help treat these conditions, our website is www.lumen.vision. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. My name is Father Richard Kuntz, and I am here with... Cindy Jennings. Cindy Jennings, and we are coming to you from the Diocese of Duluth, Minnesota, at St. James Campus of Selmaris Academy. We are talking to Bishop Daniel Felton of the Diocese of Duluth. We're talking about Christmas-themed topics, and one of the things that I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, Bishop, is something that you've been going around the diocese, I know, of recent, and talking to children about the one-minute manger. Can you maybe give us a little bit of an idea what that is and what that means? Sure, sure. So um, there was a popular book out a while ago called The One-Minute Manager, Um, things that a manager could do to be a good manager that only take one minute a day to do it, affirmation and other things. And so I was reading that book, and I was on my bedstand, and one morning I I had to give a talk during Advent, and I got got up, I woke up, and I was sitting on the edge of my bed, and I looked over, and you know how your eyes are kind of blurry when you first wake up, and rather than seeing the one-minute manager um, as the name of the book, my eyes were blurred, and it looked like the one-minute manger, and I, ha, ha! had the great idea for the talk. So uh, the whole idea would be the power of the nativity as it's in our home or in our church, but each one of those figures uh, that's in the nativity set has spe- such a special role, not only in the Christmas story, but in God's plan of salvation. And if we could be one of those characters that are in the manger set each day for one minute, um, it would make all the difference uh, in the season of Advent getting us ready uh, to uh, celebrate the coming of the Christmas Christ. So I, I've been traveling around to our Catholic schools and, and uh, meeting with them and the children, and we've been talking about uh, the nativity set, or what we more like, more call the, the manger set, even though um, we'll talk about that in a minute. It's not the, probably the best way to refer to it. But I, I'll ask the children, you know, well, tell me, what are the figures in the uh, nativity set, and how can we be like that figure for one minute each day? Um, and I have discovered that in the Diocese of Duluth, or at least in the uh, 10 counties in northeastern Minnesota, um, we, have, we have figures that the children claim are in their sets that are very unique to our territory or area. So I have children who insist that there's a moose uh, in the nativity set. I don't know if they get it confused with the camel, <laughs> but they claim that there is a moose. I had another, uh, actually three or four children tell me that they had chickens, 
and two of them can even tell me the names of the chickens that are in their their nativity set. So we have some very interesting nativity sets here. But it, but just stop to think about it. One minute a day to be like Mary, just to be open to the Holy Spirit, just working it through our life, and to say today's the day. I'm going to look for that opportunity one minute uh, to be open to the Spirit, make all the difference in the world. Um, Joseph, being so faithful to Mary, so faithful to God, sometimes not always knowing the full plan that was unfolding, but trusting in it. You know, one minute a day, if we could say, I'm going to be like St. Joseph today, and I'm just going to be faithful, um, even during those moments and times in my life when I'm not quite sure what's going on. Um, the shepherds came uh, from the hills to be able to adore um, the Christ child that was before them, one minute a day just to pause in adoration or to spend some time in church in adoration. The Magi came bearing gifts. We all have gifts. One minute a day to say, how am I using my gifts um, that I've been given by God? Am I using them for the service of the people? Um, the uh, animals that are in the, the manger said, obviously, the camel with the Magi, the sheep with the shepherds. But why do we have a cow and a donkey? You know, why, why don't we? Hey, uh, there was another child who claimed that they had a dolphin uh, in their set. I just remembered that. So, <laughs> Typical North Minis- northern Minnesota. In northeastern Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. but the, uh, so why do we have a donkey and, and why do we have a cow? Um, and that goes back to the book of the prophet Isaiah, where in a passage in the prophet Isaiah it says, even the cow and the donkey recognize their master, but the people of Israel do not. And so the reason we have a cow and a donkey in our nativity set is even they would recognize Jesus Christ and the coming of Jesus uh, in this Christmas season, and sometimes we don't. Um, and then, of course, there, there, there are the angels. Uh, do we give glory to God one minute a day? The star, you know, leading uh, the Magi to Jesus. Um, and uh, are we that star uh, leading other people to Jesus during the Advent season going into Christmas? And of course, the center of the Nativity set is Jesus himself, and one minute a day to remind myself, am I living my life today as Jesus did or Jesus would want me to? So the power of the Nativity set um, not only is a part of our uh, Christmas and uh, Advent tradition, but as a living reminder of how the Christmas story is not just a story, but it's a way of life that we are called to. It sounds like you have a makings of a good children's book there, Bishop. Yes. Oh, so maybe just like Robert May. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> sell it to Montgomery Ward, which doesn't exist anymore. Right, right. Hey, Bishop, do they still have the traveling wise men? Like they travel around and the kids have to find them? Yes. Every day? Okay, good. That is, I that's love a beautiful. That. The, uh, I, I, uh, when I was in Manitowoc as a pastor there, um, the family lived across the street. They had um, six boys in six years. And so you can imagine, uh, leading up to Christmas, how excited the, the six boys were as children. And so the mom uh, used to, first of all, before Christmas, she had straw. And if they were good that day, they could put straw in the manger. And actually, the manger is the the crib that holds Jesus. Um, And so if they were good that day, they could put a piece of straw in the manger. But if they were, the behavior wasn't so good that day, then they they couldn't put one in there, or they actually had to take one out. And then after Christmas, you know, leading up to Epiphany, she would bring out the three uh, wise men, the three magi, 
and she would put them away from the manger set. And, and if the boys were good that day, they, the Magi would take one step towards the manger set. But if they weren't, then she they would take one step away. So, yeah, there is that tradition of, you know, slowly moving the Magi, because we kind of celebrate the Magi with the Feast of Epiphany after Christmas, even though we include them often mm-hmm. in our nativity set. But it's a wonderful way to, to not only journey, um, but maybe sometimes a great behavioral um, exercise uh, to right. keep the children uh, under control during the Christmas season. Bishop, you'd made the comment a little while ago in regards to it's not maybe a good idea to, maybe not a fitting to call it a manger, but maybe a nativity scene. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah, so so when we say a manger set, it's actually referring to a piece in the manger set, which in the one-minute manger we can be called to be like, and the children said this to, this to me in the grade school, you know, to be like the manger. So the manger was actually the the crib that was built or the box. The, the manger is where the, the, the animals there would feed from. And so it was a trough. Um, and so the manger actually became uh, the crib for Jesus. And like a manger, do we hold Jesus um, in the season of Advent into Christmas uh, in our hands? Um and then the, the the structure around that is called the stable, uh, the actual structure of itself. But we often refer to it as the manger set because it's kind of the center of the, the piece. Right. There's also very um, strong Eucharistic um, tones in the symbolism. Obviously, a manger is a feeding trough. We feed on the Eucharist. And Bethlehem, of course, is Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Right. Also a Eucharistic uh, tone as well. Yeah, and, and just the whole element of, of how we uh, hold our hands or, or even receive on the tongue the presence of Jesus is to be kind of like that manger or that crib that, that is um, intentional, uh, but always done with great reference, because you can imagine the significance of the trough um, in that moment once the child Jesus was placed in it. And do we have that same reference then, the way that we receive Jesus? One of my uh, favorite times, of I mean, you've got a lot of experience being in Rome as well, and I addressed it a little bit uh, a few minutes ago, is that one of my favorite times of the year to be in Rome is at the Christmas time because of the manger scenes that are all in these churches. It seems like every church tries to outdo the other church on manger scenes. I'm sure you remember the oh, yeah. bishop. Yes, and, and they would fit well into uh, into the Diocese of Duluth because often there were many other, to make it even more spectacular and magnificent, the story was stretched just a little bit to include uh, a variety of characters um, that traditionally wouldn't be found in the account of Luke um, and Matthew, but at the same time, um, certainly it's just with the single purpose of giving praise and glory to Jesus and his birth. But yes, yeah, spectacular. Um, and, and, and while I was in Rome, and this would have been a long time ago, um, this would have been the late 80s, the Christmas tree, as we know it, was kind of first being introduced into popular culture in Italy, actually a decorated tree. Um, and at that time, there were no artificial trees. Everything had to be real, and it had to be potted so that it could be replanted um, after Christmas. But what was interesting, because it was kind of new, this decorated Christmas tree concept, um, people kind of just threw decorations onto the tree without any, I mean, they just took things and without any, you know, we're so meticulous, like how the lights go on and the garland and everything, and 
they just would take things and kind of throw it on the tree. And then, so with land, that was kind of the decorations. And I'm sure since that time, things have gotten a little more sophisticated. But it was fun to see how how a symbol one is introduced into a culture, which we just assume is everywhere, but it's not, um, how it's received and ultimately how it develops. Well, another thing that I've noticed in the years that I've been going over there is that, that um, uh, Santa Claus was never a big deal in Italy, but he's becoming more of a big deal. It was always La Bufana. Right, yep. We got about, and in we different traditions, obviously, St. Right. Nicholas is today. Yep. And did you put your shoes on last night, Father Rich? Well, I did not, but the school kids did. Okay, good. <laughs> and even that's a different, you know, stockings sometimes are stuffed. Um, we, I grew up, at least initially in my life, um, in a community, uh, even though we're uh, Irish in background, in a community that was uh, a strong Dutch influence. So the Dutch put shoes out. The, uh, used to be their wooden shoes, but now they're regular shoes. So that that's, was a custom in our family as well. Yeah. 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 Um we got about we got about a minute left, Bishop. Is there any uh, final thoughts that you want to share with the listeners in regards to Christmas, getting ready for it? Yeah, I know. I just think that, you know, Advent is such a, a powerful season. It's just a, a great opportunity to open ourselves up, not so much what we're going to do for Jesus, but to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through us. One, to prepare us uh, for the coming of the Christmas Christ, but also uh, to use us in so many ways to speak healing and hope and joy uh, into the Advent season as expressions that are going to be embodied in the very person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is healing. Jesus is hope. Jesus is joy. So just to be open where the Spirit wants to take us uh, during the holy season of Advent, and wherever the Spirit takes us, uh, we'll even be more open then to embracing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior uh, come Christmas Day, not only as a day, but as a way of life. Thank you very much, Bishop Daniel Felton. Could you give us a, a blessing before we yes. go on to our break? So, Lord God, as we move through these holy days of the Advent season, we open our hearts to receive your Spirit, which just draws us, draws us closer to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And on that Christmas Day, may our hearts be open to receive the one who comes to be one like us, pitches a tent among us, to be able to show us that the reign of God is at hand, that if we repent and receive the kingdom of God, that it will be incredibly good news. And may Almighty God bless all of our listeners, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Bishop. Bishop. Thank you. Blessings on the rest of the day and season. When we get back from this break, we'll have Straight Talk. Live, engaging, and local. This is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 